Welcome to Elevated Voices Podcast, where we value using our voice collectively to explore life challenges, including mental health, addiction, trauma, and ways to heal. With our voice, we empower, encourage, and transform lives. I'm your host, Daishika Bibbs, a certified trauma-focused therapist, licensed clinical social worker, and licensed certified addiction specialist. As we embark on this journey together, let's elevate our voice to echo the sound for the voiceless. Welcome to all my listeners. We have another great show in store. Today's guest is a wife, entrepreneur, mother, doctoral candidate, a licensed marriage and family therapist, a inner childhood trauma coach, as well as the founder of the Unicorn Coaching Academy, an interactive platform geared to helping Black women heal inner childhood wounds so they can break generational curses and create healthy relationships. Elevated Voices Podcast would like to give a warm welcome to Terry Tanisha Mathis, affectionately known as the Trap Unicorn. Welcome to the show. Thank you. Hi. (laughs) So I just want to say that you have done so many amazing things and you have various projects that you're doing and we're going to get to some of those in the show. But I just want to thank you for all the work that you do with trauma. For me, that's one of my specialties. I absolutely, absolutely love that feel. Not everybody, you know, everybody can't do that. So I just want to, you know, thank you so much for the work that you do and everything that goes along with that. Thank you so much. I actually uh, started doing trauma work as a response to my daughter passing in 2020. She um, had said she was two months old and she passed away. And that actually triggered me to recognize that there were a lot of childhood trauma wounds that I hadn't healed. And I always say that when we do this work, we're nothing but wounded healers. And so we also have to do our work as well to heal our own things so that way we can show up for our clients. And so that was really, you know, one of the things that kind of put me into the space of doing the inner childhood trauma work and and healing that and teaching other women how to heal that as well. Yeah, definitely. And I think that that is something that a lot of us do not have. And some of us don't even know that we are experiencing childhood trauma because it's not talked about. And when you bring it up, the first thing that people may say is, I'm not a vet. I didn't go to war. What do you mean trauma? You know, I, I don't know what you're you're referring to. I don't know what you're talking about. You know, I'm fine. It's an educational moment. And I say to them, you know, childhood trauma comes in many different forms. You have physical and sexual abuse. You could witness domestic violence. You could have ex- witnessed a traumatic event, whether that was a, a shooting or a natural disaster. It can be even bullying, you know, and a lot of people don't associate those things with childhood trauma, but it's there, you know, even neglect, it's there and it weighs on you. Absolutely. I kind of, you know, define it like when I'm trying to teach other people, I kind of define it as 
you have big T and then you have little T. Big T are those isolated events of trauma, like what you said, the car accidents, the um, witnessing a murder, things like that. So those are like the isolated events um, that are big and very traumatic, which is why I categorize, categorize them as the big T. And then you have little T or little trauma, which is the, the things that we experience throughout childhood that are somewhat subtle. Um, and we don't recognize that they're traumatic. So one example that I love to use is my mother was a yeller. You know, she would yell about everything that manifested into adulthood as me having generalized anxiety disorder. And, you know, it's like the little things that we have normalized in our childhood because we've kind of written that off as, well, this is just how my mother is, or this is how my father is to manifest into other issues in adulthood. And I love to kind of help clients unpack that and what that looks like for them just from, you know, the small, subtle experiences that they've had from child childhood. So you're absolutely right that it can be perceived as, well, I don't have, you know, PTSD symptoms or, you know, whatever that looks like for the the way that the person internalizes trauma. But it definitely has a way of manifesting into how we interact with other people, which is why I'm definitely passionate about teaching people how to heal that and how to create healthy relationships, how to establish boundaries and things like that, because that's so important. Yeah, definitely. When you think of it, it chips away at you little by little. And as a child, you don't realize, like you said, it's like, oh, you know, well, that's just the way my mom is. And you learn to deal with it. You learn to adjust. You learn to cope with it. But the coping skills that you have is not always the healthiest coping skills, but you are using those to deal with the situation at hand. It's a survival technique. People begin to shut down. You begin to disassociate yourself. And you begin to experience distrust, depression, anxiety, anger. And so all of those symptoms, we don't associate with, oh my gosh, this is a part of my childhood trauma. And so it, it, it's, it's really amazing because in addition to having those emotional symptoms, you can experience physical symptoms as well, physical illnesses, sleep disturbances, night terrors, poor concentration, and even behavioral. You know, you can be impulsive, you can start isolating. You know, you can even turn you can even turn that into an eating disorder. Because all of those things that happened to you as a child, you had no control over those things. But some of the things that you do have control over is how much I eat, when I eat. And sometimes even being a cutter, you know, how much I cut, when I cut. But again, people don't link those two things together. One of the things that I know you created is your journal, which is called My Daughter's Keeper. Tell us a little bit more about that. Yeah. So. My Daughter's Keeper was actually inspired by the work that I did from healing my childhood trauma wounds. I like to call things what it is. So my mom was a yeller and she was also physically and mentally abusive. And 
that was how she knew how to parent because that was what she learned from her parents. It was extremely important for me to heal my trauma wound so my trauma didn't become my daughter's trauma. And within me doing the work to create the journal, I had to ask myself. So I I literally tapped in with my ancestors and asked them, you know, what am I needing to provide within myself in order for me to provide to other people? I broke it down to multiple chapters where you have safety, you have Black Girl Magic. So within the safety chapter, we explore what creating a safe space actually looks like, Um, what it looks like for you to be emotionally and mentally vulnerable with your child, as well as your child being emotionally and mentally vulnerable with you. When we talk about Black Girl Magic, we also talk about what that looks like in terms of navigating through the world as a Black woman. We talk about colorism. We talk about just so many things related to being a Black woman, what being a Black, of a strong Black woman looks like, how that transcends into your family. Uh, we talk about relationship. There's, you know, expansion chapters because not everyone that purchases the journal has siblings, but we have expansion chapters that explores sibling relationships, intimate relationships, especially for those that are in the LBGQA plus community. Um, so we explore that. We have chapters for middle schoolers specifically and high schoolers and them transitioning from middle school to high school into college. Um, But within that relationship chapter is really focused on what is a trauma bond? How do you know that you're in a codependent relationship? Because when we don't know how to show up in our relationships or even for ourselves, we can't teach our children that. And so they are more likely, especially in middle school, they're more likely to develop unhealthy relationships. And those patterns manifest and transcend into high school relationships as well. So we explore that. Uh, We also explore grief and loss because let's keep it real, like the Black community doesn't talk about grief or loss. We don't talk about death. And so I ask the very, you know, direct question of what happens to me when you pass away? And we explore what a loss is. It's always typically connected to death, but there's a loss of a relationship, a loss of a, a dream that we once had that we we couldn't achieve. And these are really like a lot of the things that I wish that I would have had the opportunity to address with my mom. And a lot of these questions are geared towards moms asking their daughters questions about their experiences, but in retrospect, also asking or being transparent about their experiences because we cannot teach our daughters things that we have not been able to be attuned to ourselves. And so, you know, like I said, it was my experiences. Also, when I started as a therapist, I worked only just with children. And so hearing a lot of the kids' experiences or me asking those direct questions and them being transparent with me, but then not feeling safe enough to share that with their parent, that was like really important. So the journal is really structured for, you know, and I know that some therapists may feel some kind of way about it, but it's really structured for you to not have to go to therapy if you cannot afford it. And it's even structured for therapists to integrate the work into their practice to help them help their clients go through the process of healing 
their inner child trauma wounds and navigating a healthy relationship with their daughters or even having a healthy relationship with themselves. Like I always say that you can't have a healthy relationship with anybody until you have a healthy relationship with yourself. So the journal is literally outlined for you to take out all the guesswork or when, you know, like when you tell someone, oh, you just have to do the work to heal. And you're like, well, where do I even start? I started everything for you. There's no guesswork. I literally tapped into my brain and outlined everything as if I was having a family therapy session. So that's the journal. And it's, like I said, it's interactive. Um, You only need one journal. Moms and daughters are taught or, you know, are shown how to navigate through it. And it's also a keepsake and a a scrapbook and everything all into one. So it's it's pretty dope. I, I pat myself on the back for that one. That's amazing. That's actually beyond amazing because there's nothing out there like that, especially having the child and the parent work together simultaneously. It takes your relationship to a whole new level. But not just that. It allows you, as the parent who have experienced trauma, to truly reflect in your life to say, what are those unhealthy patterns? Identifying those emotions, identifying those thoughts and those behaviors and saying, you know what? I am consciously deciding to make changes in my life. Because if I didn't know that that was a trauma, I just thought it was normal. So it's normalized. Now that I'm a parent, I probably more than likely I didn't pick up all of those problematic behaviors from my childhood, especially if I didn't have any guidance to differentiate between what is healthy and what's not. We go through life in this, again, generational cycle of passing those traumas, pains, hurts down from one generation to the next. And for you to say, you know what, I'm not going to do this with my daughter. You know, I'm not going to do this. So let me create something that is not only beneficial for me, but can be beneficial to millions and millions of people. Absolutely. I always say that a lot of people in this world are put here for purposes that are bigger than them. You know, when I tell people that my daughter passed away, the first thing that they say is, oh, I'm so sorry. You know, and they show this level of empathy or sympathy. You know, I always say, no, it's okay because it was for a reason. And as, you know, off-putting as it might be for some people to hear, the reality is had I not ex- had that experience, let alone had that experience with her because my relationship with my firstborn is different than, you know, it was with my secondborn because with my secondborn, she was, when she was born, she looked like me and I didn't like her. So that was the difference was when I saw her, it was like, okay, you really have to dig deep and heal that because that's not okay for you not to like your child because she looks like you. My oldest daughter, she looks just like her dad. And so it really forced me to do the work. And from that experience, although it was extremely heartbreaking, I was able to reframe the way that I looked at it and said that this was a purpose. And it was, you know, my ancestors pushing me to 
step into my purpose and into my greatness because there's been times when I feel like, you know, now that I'm more spiritually awoken, that they push me into different avenues and I was resistant. And now it was kind of like, okay, so since you want to be resistant, I'm going to force you to have to do something different and show up differently for yourself. So that way you can show up differently for other people and you can help people heal in ways that they never knew that they needed. Right, right. What you just described is what many people go through and they don't even know that they're going through it. And what it is, is an adult attachment disorder. So yes. there are there are three adult attachment disorders and people are like, wait, what? What is that? Adults can have issues with attachment. Yes, we can have issues with attachment, especially if it is tied into a trauma. So the first one is the dismissive avoidant attachment. And that's basically literally what you just said is when you yourself experience a trauma. And then as an adult, when you have kids, it's you either ignoring or rejecting that child for whatever so reason. And some people do it intentionally and some people do it unintentional, right? Because like you said, she reminded me so much of me. She looked just like me, you know? And then you have the second one, which is called the fearful avoidant attachment is when the person, the adult has been either exposed to abuse or neglect, and they fear having intimate or close relationships. So they avoid, you know, relationships at all costs, or they self-sabotage relationships, or they just distrust. And it's like, I wonder why my relationships with this person or that person is so hard for me. That's why, right? And then the last one is the anxiety precaution attachment. And that's when you as an adult become so clingy or so needy and you need constant validation within your relationship to feel secure because you didn't get that as a child. With those three different attachment disorders, I can tell you, you know, a lot of different people that fall into those categories, but they don't have a name to put to what it is that I'm going through. That's another reason why it is so critical that when we go through things in our lives, whether child, adolescent, or adult, that we seek help. And I understand it is stigma behind going to see a therapist. I get it. I don't want people to think that, quote, I'm crazy, unquote, you know, because it's a lot of people who think that if I go to therapy, then that means that, you know, I'm crazy. That means that they're going to put me on medication and I don't want to be labeled as crazy. Right. And so we use that term so loosely. But for me, I don't like using that term. And I tell people just because you need a safe space to process, to debunk to unwind, to filter out, that doesn't necessarily mean that that there's something wrong with you. That means that, hey, you know what? Hey, you recognize that, you know, I am struggling in this department. 
And you know what? Let me fine tune my skills. Let me have a different perspective of what it is that I can do to improve me. I know one of the things that you also have done is you created the the Dear Mommy Project. Is that different from the the journal that you created or is that like a step above? So the Dear Mama Project is actually inspired by Tupac Shakur. So, you know, his work was centered around social injustice, but also he was very passionate about community and uplifting Black mothers, you know, just from his experience from his mother. I don't care how many hits he did or didn't have. He's still like my favorite rapper. um, And I can definitely relate to him just from my own childhood experiences. Like that was the first rapper um, for me that actually spoke to my soul. And so, you know, it was important for me to integrate him into my doctoral program or my doctoral project. My school basically has a, a applied route and then you have your dissertation where you do research. And for me, I felt like creating tools and resources was a lot more important than doing research and, you know, getting it done and then never picking it back up again. And so the Dear Mama Project is an eight-week program that is very intense. Um, I'm a narrative-based therapist. So within that program, we do a lot of writing, so much so that you're writing a letter to yourself, you're writing your letter to your mother, you're writing a letter to the people who have failed you. You are writing your experiences using um, narrative exposure therapy, which is basically an opportunity for you to chronologically write out what your experiences were from as early as you can remember. Um, So within that program, we talk about social injustice. We talk about oppression and what that looks like for you. Um, Because a lot of times, you know, while we think about oppression, especially considering the times we think about, you know, um, our experiences with non-Black people. But on the flip side of that, oppression is also within your home as well. Because, you know, if you think about the traditional Black family, children are to be seen and not heard. And so we talk about the experiences that you have with oppression in the home. We talk about feelings because, of course, with us being Black women, we are often taught to be strong and not vulnerable. And so we explore emotions. Um, One of the biggest things that I always tell people is like, you have to give your emotions space, regardless of what it is, Um, especially when it comes to depression or sadness. Because when sadness is knocking at your door and you don't answer, he's going to bring back his squad. He's going to bring anger, disappointment, grief, all the folk. And that is how, you know, it gets so intense that we get to a point where it's like, I don't even know why I'm mad or I don't even know why I'm sad or, you know, like we don't know where that's coming from. Well, that's because we never honored our emotions and honored ourselves to give the emotions space. You know, or when we experience an emotion, we are very good for sweeping under the rug. And I always use the example, if you live in the projects and you have roaches and you put the roaches underneath the rug because you got company coming over, those jokers be creeping out from underneath that rug, you know? So, so I, I, you know, I, I feel like that's the same thing when it comes to our emotions and how when we don't deal with them, it gets more intense. And then that's when we start making the poor decisions, et cetera. And so 
We also talk about relationships. We talk about community, especially as it relates to um, Black women being in a community with each other. Um, where I come from, there are, there. my mother taught me to be in competition with other people. And so that also meant being in competition with her. And she was not someone that I wanted to compete with. You don't compete with your mother. Right. You know, but my mom was someone who was like, well, you're smarter than me. And she would say that to me, you know, you're smarter than me or you do this or you're going to be something, you know, um, important in the world or you're going to be bigger than. And so she would give this compliment, but it would be a backhand compliment because then it would be, you know, this undertone tension that would come with that. And I think that she recognized my greatness before I even recognized it. And so for her, it was kind of like not only just her being in competition with me, but then she would put my sister in competition with me as well. Or I often felt like we also had to compete for her love and for her attention. And because I was the oldest, you know, it was kind of like I was put in this space where I had to care for my siblings. And if they did something wrong, I was responsible for it. So then that, that in essence, kind of made me feel like I was depleted. Like the love that she had for me was depleted because I upset her. So we talk about all of these things. And then, you know, the final week is where, you know, we do our our vision board and, and really work towards walking in our purpose, moving forward and what that's supposed to look like. So it was very, very intense. Um, Like I said, a lot of writing. I give a lot of homework assignments. We also do a night during the second, the fourth, and the, and the seventh week. So three times I've, you know, that eight weeks and we watch a movie and then we explore and we unpack that and how that relates to us and what comes up for us. And it's really, 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 really dope to see the transformation of how these moms start off in the program. And then we get to where we are, you know, weeks later at the end of the, the eight weeks. And it's like, they're totally different. You know, and it's it's so it's so powerful. So the journal, like I said, is kind of like an interactive piece where it's for mothers and daughters, but that Dear Mama project is like you solely by yourself and you also having a community to support you along the way. Right. And that's much needed because like you said, when we go through things, it's like you don't tell people what you're going through. You know, how dare you? you know, air, any laundry, any, anything. And it's like, just to have another person say, I know what you, what you are going through. Here are some ways that I have dealt with it. Or on the flip side of it, this is how I didn't deal with it. And here are, you know, the consequences. And so having a project like that, man, I just want to say it's much needed. And I, I, I wish that you can literally bring and implement that project to all 50 states because it is needed and not just in therapy in the schools in churches like it's needed because we spend our kids spend 90% of their time at school some of us spend a bo- the bulk of our time at church and sometimes the, if we're working parents, we are spending the bulk of our time at work. So having something like that integrated, and it doesn't have to be on that magnitude because it's a lot that goes into it, but just a fraction 
of that, that can make or break a person, you know? And I know that you talked a little bit about your approach and you use NET, which is the um, narrative exposure therapy. The one thing that I love the most about doing trauma work is that you have various approaches that you can take. So you have the CPT, which is the cognitive processing therapy. You got trauma-focused cognitive um, behavioral therapy that you can use primarily with children and adolescent EMDR, you know, the eye movement, desensitization, and reprocessing. Like you said, the um, narrative exposure therapy that you use and just writing out the trauma, prolonged exposure therapy. So there are so many different levels to or options to how someone can process their trauma. And all of it is done in a safe space with professionals that literally will guide you through from start to finish. I know for me personally, I use CPT and trauma-focused cognitive behavioral therapy. Those two therapies, you know, are like my favorite. And like you said, just to implement that and see when the person comes in, how they feel hopeless, or they sometimes say, I feel broken. And you literally go through the process and you can see the tears, but you can also see that light bulb come on. You know, that is a heartfelt feeling to see that progress from someone who said, Hey, you know, I really didn't even know that this is how I felt, or this is how I was living my life until you, you know, took that step to show me. And I just, again, want to give you, you know, kudos for that because it's so many misconceptions and myths about trauma and what it looks like. If there is anyone that is listening to this podcast and they don't know if they are experiencing childhood trauma, what advice, what tips can you share with them? So, you know, sometimes the the hardest thing for us to do is kind of look at ourselves. So I would challenge them to actually look at their relationship. Start with looking at your relationships and the relationship dynamic. Um, is it hard for you to set boundaries with people? Is it, you know, do you feel like you're constantly showing up for other people, but you're really not showing up for yourself? Are you finding yourself feeling taken advantage of or feeling overwhelmed because you're wanting to always give more and and giving more feels like you're not giving enough, right? If you start to unpack what the dynamics of your relationships look like, those are actually signals or symptoms associated with childhood trauma. Because like I mentioned before, that things manifest into adulthood and how we show up for ourselves and how we show up for other people. So, you know, once you recognize, okay, so this is the common theme as it relates to my relationships. I can't, you know, tell my child no, or, you know, my mother is constantly wanting me to do something for her and I can't tell her no, whatever that looks like, you know, once you recognize that this is a pattern for you, take a moment and think about what your childhood was like. A lot of the women that I work with, um, that are, or that I work with currently, 
one of the things like when we're doing our our consultation is I'll ask them, well, tell me about your childhood. And they'll be like, oh, it was normal. And <laughs> and once we start to unpack that, it is not normal. It's It's far from normal. You know, we have mom that was, you know, controlling. She was controlling because she was fearful that you you know, that you would come into your own or she was fearful that you would get into a space where, you know, you would start making poor choices and she didn't even trust in her own parenting. So she started to control you. You have a dad that didn't show up for you who said that he was coming, but he would never come. You know, like you you start to unpack and unfold that. You start to realize that mom worked a lot. So you were in survival mode all the time, right? And so... I want to teach something very quickly. So in you exploring what your relationships look like and then you thinking about your childhood, I want you to then do this exercise. When you take your hand, I want you to take your hand and make a five, like put five, your five fingers up and then you take your thumb and you bend it into your four fingers and your nail bed represents the amygdala. That is a part of the brain that stores memory. And it is so, if you look at pictures, you take a, you know, do a little Google search and you look at a normal brain and then you look at a brain that has experienced trauma. The There's significant differences, but the trauma that is stored in that brain is all in the amygdala and the amygdala is a very small piece of your brain, but it houses all the memories. So then you take your four fingers and you close it. So now you have a fist. The top of the brain where your knuckles are represents what we call the upstairs brain and your wrist area represents the downstairs brain. When you're in the upstairs brain, you're very attuned to your emotions. You're able to respond and be conscious of, you know, what you're saying and how you show up for yourself, how you show up for other people. Um, You're more likely to respond versus react. And when you're in your downstairs brain, that is where you react versus respond. Huge difference between the two. Um, In your downstairs brain, that is where you're very defensive. So all the things that you mentioned earlier about, you know, um, being defensive, having anxiety, saying you don't know. In your downstairs brain is where your primal instincts are stored. And so when you, bringing it back to the amygdala, when you've experienced some type of traumatic event, right? So even just with my mom and her yelling and that manifesting into anxiety, into adulthood, when someone yells at me, someone calls me by my government name, when someone would send, my my supervisor would send an email and say, hey, I need you to come into the office. I instantly went into my downstairs brain and became triggered. I became anxious. I became defensive. And they could have just been telling me to come to the office to pick up my check. But I instantly went into the downstairs brain because of the memory of stored of me being yelled at or there being some sense of trouble whenever my mother would call me Terry, Tanisha, Ashley, Shantae Smith, bring your A in here. Right. You know, like, and I would get triggered, you know? And so all of that is to say that when you, as you listen to this, I want you to be honest with yourself and say, do I show up in my downstairs brain? Am I anxious sometimes? 
Do I get triggered easily? Do I shut down? Am I defensive? Am I ready to throw these hands and nook if I buck? Like, like what, like what is coming up for me? And if this is where I am, then maybe you need to talk to somebody. And it doesn't always have to be a therapist. You know, there's coaches out here that maybe have programs, you know, but I always push therapy, always, all the time, especially because I am a therapist. But because of that negative stigma, I say, well, maybe go to a coach. And then as you do work with a coach, it will open a Pandora's box where you know that you need something deeper. And then you start to go into that therapy route. Um, so be honest with yourself, be true to yourself because you being fake with yourself don't help nobody, you know, and it definitely doesn't serve you to not be honest. So be real and figure out where you are. And then, you know, if all else fails and you're ready to get help, but you don't know where to even start, you know, there are resources or heck, I mean, you can even follow me. I give tips all the time on how to find a therapist and what to look for, you know, but you also have, you know, Elevator Voices podcast that pretty sure drops all the tea all the time, you know, so you, you got to start somewhere because life is not about you being stagnant. Life is not about you being sad. Life is not about you doing the same thing day in, day out, and you not living in your purpose, you know, and when you're ready to do something different and ready to show up for yourself, then definitely start with acknowledging it. And then the next step is reaching out for the help. Definitely. Guys, if you're listening to this, I want you to think about what you want your life to be, how your life is now, and some of the dreams, some of your aspirations, and really say to yourself, hey, you know, am I living in my purpose? You know, am I truly where I want to be? And if that answer is no, if there's something that's holding you back, if you're just really unsure about, you know, I do have this childhood trauma, you don't have to face this alone. You do not have to face this alone, guys. So this is what I want you to do. I want you to reach out. So Terry, Tell the people, how can they find you? Um, So you can definitely find me on Instagram. I am at sign trap unicorn MFT. That's man Frank Tom MFT. Um, you can also, you know, shoot me an email. You can go to my website. There's it's www.terrytanishadmft. So Derek man freight tom and and you know there's a a form where you can fill out to reach me i always respond you know i'm also um on facebook as well the trap unicorn you can also find me on unicorn coaching academy like i'm always accessible but the biggest thing for me is community and you're not facing stuff alone so that's why you know, I always respond because you, you never know that person could have been reaching out while they were in the middle of a crisis, you know, but you can always reach out to me, um, through those, through those platforms. And I'll always respond no matter how busy I am, I'm going to respond. Well, listeners, there you have it. Thank you so much, Terry, for dropping those gems on us. Like I said, you are an amazing clinician as well as person. And, you know, it takes a very special person to work 
and and specialize in trauma uh, because it's hard work, but it's so rewarding. So I just want to thank you and empower you and say, don't stop. Keep going. Thank you so much. You're welcome. Thank you for tuning in to Elevated Voices Podcast, where we enjoy using our voice to share information which promotes growth and change. Never feel like you are alone. Join our Elevated Voices Podcast community at Elevated Voices underscore on both Instagram and Twitter. Stay tuned to bi-weekly episodes wherever you get your podcast. If there is a topic that you would like me to cover, or if you have questions, you can send me an email via my Elevated Voices Podcast Facebook page. And remember, don't forget to let your voice be heard.